Welcome to the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with Senior Pastor Matt Homeyer. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org. Enjoy the podcast. Good morning, friends. We are glad you are here today. Uh, let me pray for us as we begin. God, we thank you for this beautiful morning. We thank you, even as we lost a little sleep, we thank you for a change of season and time that gives us more time in your creation, um, reminds us of your movement in our midst as green bursts forth around us. God, we all come today needing a word from you. We all come with some measure of joy in our heart and thankfulness with other measures of pain, of difficulty, of grief. And we all come abjectly before you in need. Speak to us, God, as you are faithful to do. In your name we pray, amen. Well, friends, we are in our second week of of a series of four weeks where we're, call, we're calling it the way of the redeemed. And so um, we're talking about kind of contrasting the way of following Jesus, some of the parts of that that Jesus gives us with the way of the world or the way that we get following Jesus twisted sometimes in comparing these things in our life. And last week we talked about forgiveness and forgiveness over and against condemnation, that the way of Jesus is, is free and there is no condemnation in Jesus Christ. And Jesus calls us offers us forgiveness and calls us, therefore, to be forgiving. And, and we talked about the beauty of that and the difficulty of that. Today, we are talking about grace over shame and, and really focusing on this concept, this reality of grace, really, really carefully um, and, and kind of breaking that down, what that means for us. So uh, to begin with, We kind of need to lay the groundwork, all right? This is gonna start a little boring. Hopefully it'll get a little more interesting as we go. So hang with me here in some of the early part. We need to come to some common understandings of what grace is and what grace isn't. We use grace or or kind of words that follow from grace a lot, and they mean different things. Um, I wrote some of them down. Grace can mean like kind of courteous goodwill. We can uh, can say grace. We we talk about grace, gratitude, gracious, graciousness. These are kind of flow from grace that we talk about, courteous goodwill. Uh, Grace can honor someone. You would call a queen or king your grace. Supposedly, I've read that. I don't know if that's true. I think it is. I've seen it in Downton Abbey. Um, it's, it's a title. It's, it's something that you honor someone with, with grace. You grace someone with your presence. Grace is a dignified way of carrying oneself. Like there's certain people when you, you see them walk and move and have their being. My, my grandmother, Ruth, is one of these people. She just, her hair is, even in the nursing home, she can't walk. She's in a wheelchair, but her hair is always set and there's a smile on her face and, and she's just beautiful. And everywhere she goes, there's just an air of, of grace about her. You feel warm. You feel welcome. You feel blessed by Mama um, because this is sort of the, the, the air that she gives out as she goes through her life. So you can have grace. 
But neither, none of those are really the biblical picture of grace or, or a, a better kind of theological God-sized definition of grace. And there's a few of those out here. So if you are note takers, write this down. I think my beard is giving us feedback this morning. I didn't test this early. Sorry, Jesus and all of our tech folks. Um, so a biblical definition of grace would be this, commonly accepted. If you're a note taker, here's one to write down. We're going to come back to it a whole bunch of times today. Grace is, one definition, the unmerited favor of God or the unearned favor of God. So there's nothing we do to earn it. It's not because we're good enough, smart enough, or anything like that. It's the favor, the, the, the blessing, the love, the salvation, the forgiveness that God gives us just because we exist, because he created us and we are, we have the grace of God, the favor of God. And this is, is uh, spread out across humanity and across, across creation. Philip Yancey is a, is a writer. He wrote a book called What's So Amazing About Grace. It's an incredible book, uh, and it shaped a lot of this sermon, a lot of my own kind of thinking and experience of grace over the last 15 years. And he gives this definition of grace. Hear this. Grace means there's nothing you can do to make God love you less. Let that sink in. There's nothing you can do that could make God love you less. And there's also nothing you can do to make God love you more. God pours out his love in abundance, regardless of who we are, how good we're doing in life, how low we are in life. We think everything's on track and doing great, or we've lost our way hopelessly. The love of God for us, the grace of God for us is exactly the same. Isn't that fascinating? This is the way of God revealed to us fully through the person of Jesus. Uh, God comes to us in, in like the parable of the sower, which we've talked about a lot in previous weeks. And God is sowing out the good things of the gospel on creation and on you and on me. And as we talked about in that series, we don't earn it and, and we can't really do much with it. But, but what we can do is position ourselves to receive it. But God is sowing this in the world um, no more, no less, depending on who we are, what we've done, what our past is, what our future is. There's nothing we can do to earn God's blessing and favor or to run God off. Isn't that fascinating? It's not fair. It's more than fair. And it's what makes it grace, this unmerited favor. And hear this. It's kind of the thesis of the morning, unpacking this for us. Grace, we believe as Christians, has the power to heal the world. Along with forgiveness, we talked about last week, along with love, we'll talk about next week, all under the power of Christ, which we'll talk about in two weeks, grace is the tool we are given to heal brokenness. It's the tool we are given to make heaven or to bring about earth as it would be in heaven, God's will on earth as it is in heaven. It's the tool that reveals the character of God to those who have been hurt or traumatized and do not trust in God's word. Y'all, have you ever done something and got caught? <laughs> we all have. And you thought punishment was coming and instead you received something resembling unmerited forgiveness or, or, or grace or love in face of punishment? 
I mean, y'all, sometimes we get what we deserve, <laughs> and that is part of life as well. And every so often from a family member, from someone that we may or may not expect, we get something more than justice. We get grace and forgiveness, and it shapes us, and it changes us, and it heals something often within us, and we're not left the same. This is the power of grace. Grace is present throughout scripture, beginning to end. When God creates in Genesis, God didn't need to create. God didn't have to create. We didn't deserve creation or to be created. God created as an act of grace, as a gesture of love and affection because of the mission of God, which we talked about a few weeks ago. God chose Abraham out of obscurity and chose him to be the progenitor of the beginning of this new nation of people that would be God's people, not because there was anything so great about Abraham. It was grace. It was unmerited favor, disproportionate favor given to Abraham. And God continues to forgive Israel throughout the Old Testament. Israel turns against God again, runs away from God again and again and again. It's just all the way throughout the Old Testament. Israel just keeps running from God and God keeps offering grace and forgiveness to rope them back into his love, to draw them back into his way from them. Grace is just saturated scripture and may best be seen in parables. It seems like almost every parable, most of Jesus' parables, if you don't know what parables are, they're, they're little stories Jesus told that have a big point. And if you kind of add the parables up in the gospels, they give kind of a composite picture of who God is. And almost all of them have a picture of grace. I mean, we go to the, the prodigal son, maybe as the first kind of paradigm or like template sort of for what God is like. There's the son who demanded the inheritance from the father and he took his half of the inheritance and he ran and he squandered it and he wasted it. And, and he, he was just as far from his father who represents God in the story, as far as he can get. And he finally realizes his only recourse is to crawl back shame-faced to his father. And when his father sees him coming, instead of making him pay or making him explain or, or at least offer justification of why the father should let him in, the father runs to his son and he takes off his family ring of blessing and he puts it on his son and he takes off his coat, which represented being the father and he puts it, which represents bringing him back into the family and he throws a party and they kill the fatted calf, which is just quote, for having a big party, you know, doing whatever you could to celebrate this. And that is how God receives each of us. It's, it's grace. The son didn't deserve it. He deserves something very different. And yet this is who God is. We see it in Matthew 20, 1 through 16, the parables of the workers in the vineyard. There was a man who had a vineyard. I know we all have vineyards, spend a lot of time. You know exactly, no, none of us know about what this is, but these are the stories we're given. It would have worked for Jesus' day, but, but he had a vineyard and he needed people to work it. And so he went out to kind of the square of town, the central gathering place. And there were men that were there when they needed work, they'd come to the square. And early in the morning, about six in the morning, he hires a bunch and says, y'all come work for me and you'll get a denarius, which was basically a day's wage, a reasonable expectation of a fair pay. 
And then he goes back about nine in the morning, in the third hour, and, and there's some more folks there. And he says, hey, why don't y'all come work for me as well? And he goes back at noon and he gets more and, and more start working at the vineyard. And he goes back at three and he finally goes back at like five, like right an hour before closing time, an hour before work. And there's still people there needing work. And so he says, why aren't y'all working? And no one's hired us. And so he hires them. And so they work for about an hour and the day closes about six. And he tells his manager, he says, okay, pay everybody out at the end of the day, pay them in reverse order. So those that showed up latest get paid first. And so they kind of all line up, you know, however many there were. And those that started the day at six in the morning are in the back of the line. They've been working 12 hours and they pay out the ones that worked one hour and they got a full denarius or full denarii. I guess it's anyway, it doesn't matter. Plural or singular. Who cares? Why am I talking about this? I should stop. I can't stop. That's the way it goes. We're not putting this one on the podcast. Um, and those in the back say, those that worked an hour got a full day wage? How, how much am I going to get? And then they paid the three o'clock guys and they got a full day wage. Okay. And they paid the noon guy, they got a full day wage. Paid the nine o'clock guys, they got a full day wage. And they finally, finally played the folks that had been working 12 hours all day. And guess how much they got? One day wage, you know, what they had agreed on. Now, were they thankful for having a day of work and getting a fair wage? No. It spoiled their joy. It spoiled the fairness for them of getting what they were owed, getting what they had agreed upon because it built up expectation. And the owner tells them, why are you mad at this? This is my money to do with what, and again, it's kind of God in the passage. I have blessing to give that's mine to give. You got what we agreed upon. Why begrudge those who got more? It's this picture of grace that God doesn't give wages, meaning like God doesn't give us a salary for our work. God gives gifts. God gives blessing unearned because he loves us, because he created us, because of who we are. Grace is God's news to the world that is just too good to be true. You don't have to earn your salvation. You don't have to earn love. You don't have to earn God's favor from you. You don't have to be good enough or smart enough or successful enough for God to love you. You have God's favor because you exist and God created you and loves you. I mean, it's just news too good for our brains to handle. <laughs> If we really try to apply this, because here's the other part that's coming in a minute, because we have received God's grace so freely, we are called to give that grace in the world. If we take this unmerited favor of God in, whether we think we've got a lot of it or we think we've got maybe a little of it, we're still called to give that out into the world and that's really, really hard. We can easily come to substitute a gospel of grace with what Philip Yancey calls a gospel of ungrace. Uh, the gospel of ungrace, which isn't the gospel at all, it can be around us in the church and the world. It's the gospel that says you, you get what you earn. If you are better, stronger, more powerful, work harder, et cetera, et cetera, then, then you get what you earn. If you're not those things and you've caught some bad breaks or you didn't have quite the step up that others have, then you don't deserve what others may have. And it's just not the gospel, even if the world wants to work that way from time to time. And this is particularly tempting to trust in when things are going pretty well. 
when we're making some good decisions, when we're getting ahead in life a little bit, you experience a little success, you know, things going pretty good. There's a sneaky temptation to believe when things are going well that I actually, I'm, I'm pretty smart. <laughs> actually, I'm working pretty darn hard for this. You know, I've made some really good decisions. We kind of puff up a little bit and this is ungrace at work. I mean, hard work is wonderful. It's a good thing to work hard and have a good work ethic. And, and success is fine. It's wonderful to have success. I hope all of you have success in your endeavors. But the sneaky temptation is to believe it's because of us and not from God. When a biblical perspective of stuff, a biblical perspective of the things that we have in our station in life is that it all is a gift from God, every bit of it. Now, do we work for it? Yeah, and, and do we have some sweat into it? You bet, but it's still a gift from God that is to be received for our good, for our benefit, for that of our family, but also to be given and poured out into the world. It's not for our uh, boasting of our ego. It's meant to be poured out into the world in service to others. In Texas, we call this the pull yourselves up by your own bootstraps theology, you know, that we can kind of take care of ourselves. Now, I didn't wear boots today, but I mean, it's the most ridiculous phrase ever. You can pull bootstraps and pull boots on. You can pull them off, but anyone who's worn boots much knows that if you wear them too long, someone's gonna have to pull those off you. You need even help to get boots off, but you can't pull yourself up by your own boot. It's a physical impossibility. And yet we have this phrase that seeps itself into us that we can really take care of ourselves. And it's just not of the gospel. We are in desperate need of God's grace, of God to provide, even if we work hard, even if we are intelligent, even if things are going well, even more so when things are not. We are in need of God's grace in our lives every moment of our life. Every parable has a picture of ungrace as well. For the father that runs out to the son to greet him, there's the older brother. Now, now the older brother now owns everything. When the younger brother left, the older brother got the rest. And so the whole farm, all of the cows, all of it, you know, whatever they have, it's all his. He should have so much to be joyful about because it's still all his. And now the younger brother is back, but he can't begrudge the younger brother the joy of the father. He can't rejoice because the father's thrown a party for this rebel who ran away and now comes back. It is ungrace. The younger brother doesn't deserve it. So why should we celebrate that? That is ungrace at work. When good things for another person steal your joy for what you have, that's ungrace at work. When you're tempted to think what's good and happening in someone else's life, they don't deserve, that's, steal, that's ungrace at work. The, the, the laborers who got what worked 12 hours and were mad at those who got the same amount for working less, they weren't cheated. That was ungraced at work that they deserve more than someone else when technically they did by the law of the land, but by the way of the redeemed, no, they didn't. That was grace at work. Boy, do you feel that compulsion in your own heart from time to time? That instead of building someone else up or celebrating someone else's joy, because it's not your own, you want to tear them down? Or you secretly wish it wouldn't be going quite as well? Or you make that biting comment or worse? We fight this every day of our lives. 
every day of our lives, the gospel of ungrace threatens to, to weed out the gospel of grace. Grace isn't just an action, it's a habit of life, y'all. It's, it's uh, a habit of life and, and what is needed in our world is those of us, followers of Christ, that have been so changed by God's grace, that are so in tune with the ways of grace in the world that, that we have received and therefore are motivated to spread and give and extend God's grace to others in the world. Grace is this way of being that understands, again, all we have received comes from God, and therefore we are free to give of that to others. We can be generous in love and generous in forgiveness and kindness and encouragement and all else we have to give. You know, we talked about last week, like this week, like forgiveness, grace isn't for the faint of heart. I mean, this is not easy stuff we're talking about. You know, grace isn't just a fuzzy concept of tolerance. That grace isn't just like, oh man, I mean, you do you, I'll do me, and it's all fine. You know, grace isn't just, ah, we're just going to agree to disagree on some things, or, or what's good for you is good for you, what's good for me is good for me, or let's just hope we can all get along and kind of ignore differences. I mean, grace acknowledges differences. We're going to have real differences between us, some really important, some less important. Grace acknowledges that there's hurt and there's pain in our relationships sometime, and we may choose to forgive or we may extend a unmerited favor to people, but we're not denying that there's been hurt here that needs to work, be worked on. I mean, sometimes we, we must, in grace, stand on the truth of Scripture. We must stand on the truth of Jesus as we understand that and, and, and name things like sin in the world and, and things like mistakes done in the world or, or evil and injustice done in the world. And, and we can name those things without being condemning and, and people full of judgment for those things. We can name them and still work in grace, unmerited favor with one another. It's hard. It's difficult. It's really tricky work. But what grace attempts to do is whoever we're dealing with, whoever we're working with, whoever the challenge of grace is, we try not to see the mistakes they've made or the, the people who they are. We try to see who God sees when God looks at them. God loves them. The image of God is in them. And so we try, being followers of God, to see what is lovable by God about them and treat them likewise. The Russian author Dostoevsky said that to love a person is to see him as God intended him to be. We attempt to see the possibility in people, the potential in people, the dream God has for people and see people in that light enables us to be gracious and it enables us to be loving and it, it, it fills us with the gospel of grace and steals away the gospel of ungrace. We are called to give unmerited favor and generous love as an outflow of the grace we have received because every person we encounter is just as loved by God as we are. No more, no less. This is the, the way of the redeemed. Of course, there's danger in it. It was a big risk for Jesus to announce forgiveness for all way early. <laughs> it was a risk. To say that grace is something we should give unmerited favor to everyone is a risk because some people are going to stomp on it. 
And some people are going to take forgiveness and keep doing the same things over and over again, maybe forever. And some people are going to take unmerited favor and want to profit from it or take advantage. And that is the risk of grace that's worth taking. It's not about us being taken care of. It's about extending God's blessing to others. There's danger. And this is when we are, when we think about the danger more than the grace, it's when we're most tempted to give into that false gospel of ungrace. Being occasionally taken advantage of is no reason not to live in grace. Dallas Willard said as a Christian writer that we should never not extend grace to others because it's Christians that use more grace than anyone else. And we use more grace than anyone else because we are aware of our sin. We are, Christian doesn't mean to be perfect. It means we're aware of our imperfection and we're seeking to be forgiven for that. And so we're aware of what we don't do well and where we screw up and we are in need daily. He said, Christians burn grace like jet fuel. He says, we burn it in copious amounts all day long, every minute of the day. And the wonder of it is God never runs out. There's a superabundance of grace available to every one of us for all time. And so why, do we, why would we not extend this grace to others? If the grace of God never runs out for us and will fill us up, why would we not lavishly extend forgiveness, kindness, love, all of the good things of the Lord freely to everyone we encounter in the world. Why in the world is the church known for so many things that aren't filled with grace? Because we trust in this power of ungrace and we refuse the risk of grace. The pastor and writer Gordon McDonald says that there really isn't anything the church does that the world couldn't do better if it tried. And we want to build houses for people. Great. Somebody can do that better. We want to drill water wells across Africa where they don't have water. There's somebody that can do that better. We want to feed the homeless. Great. Somebody that can do that better. I mean, we don't do concerts. Well, you know, Taylor Swift or whoever does it a lot better. Like there's nothing the world can't do better than we can if they put their mind to it. But that's not the point. So the one thing the church can do that no one else can offer is offer grace and offer forgiveness and love. This is the power, the tool that we have to remake the world. We can tell people, there's nothing you can do to make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. Friends, we launch out of here every week. A community of people on mission to be grace in the world to extend grace in the world. You have a mission, a compulsion by a holy God to do this. And some of you are gonna meet dozens and dozens of people in your week. And some of you may only encounter 10 people in your week. But hear this, y'all. If you only encounter 10 people this week, I mean, you're gonna encounter someone dealing with severe trauma they're trying to overcome and they need the grace of God. You're gonna encounter someone 
that is having severe family difficulties of brokenness and tension, and it's consuming them, and they need the grace of God. You will meet someone struggling with mental health and just trying to keep their head above water. You will meet someone in the throes of grief that is hurting and needs the love of God. You will meet people that are lonely, and you may be the only person they see that week and have a chance to encounter that week, and they need the grace of God. There will be people in severe financial distress that have no idea how they're going to eat or make it all come together, and they need the grace of God. You may or may not possess the physical resources or the spiritual resources or the emotional resources to meet all of their needs. You won't. We won't together, although we try. But what you do have is a life that is saturated with the grace of God for you. What you do have is a life lived in Christ that oozes out the grace of God in superabundance. You are burning it like jet fuel. Why not give a little bit away? Why not hear the stories of the people around you? Why not give people favor and blessing they didn't ask for that they don't deserve? And it may come back on you, but that's okay because you've got more grace to cover it. We launch here as agents of God's grace, and it just might provide healing for individuals, for families, for whole systems. Who knows where it ends once it begins? So friends, the challenge to know in our souls we are loved by God and that we can't earn it and we can't lose it and to strive for live to him, to, to receive this grace we burn like jet fuel and attempt in the ways God gives us to extend that freely into the world. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you that we don't have to earn your favor. We may not understand it, Sometimes we wonder why others may get more than us or it seems that way. Help us to be grateful. Help us to see your unmerited favor and blessing when it's at work in our lives. Help us to be generous with what we have to bless others and to extend grace to others. In your name we pray, amen. enjoyed your segment of the Trinity Baptist Church podcast with senior pastor Matt Hellmeyer. Join us next week for another segment. For more information about our church and to keep up to date with the latest resources, visit our website at trinitybaptist.org.